This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine, and I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. The day my mind is alert, my spirit is receptive as I am taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better, and I will never be the same again. Amen. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, if you would, turn your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 9. The book of Acts, chapter 9, right after the Gospels. We've been rehearsing to you each week that in December, Pastor challenged all of us to believe God for a doubling in 2024. You might say, well, that's crazy, but with God, all things are possible. However, we have to do our part, and that requires action. And on Vision Sunday, January 7th, Pastor challenged all of us to do these four things in 2024. First, to be in church every time the doors are open. We understand vacation and rest or travel for business, but if you're in town, to be in church when the doors are open. Second, to not just be here, but to be on time, or even better, early, and to worship the Lord enthusiastically. Third, to make it your personal goal and commitment to tell at least one person about Jesus every month. And fourth, to make it your goal and your commitment to pray for at least one person who's sick in their body in person every month. And I know that we're mindful of praying for others. And I know that when you get a text from a family member or you see something online or you're aware of something going on in our church family, we do as the word says, we pray one for another and that's wonderful, and we should do that. But in talking to neighbors, in talking to coworkers, there will be opportunities where someone tells you they are in need in their body. Offer to pray with them in person and just see what the Lord will do. As the Bible tells us in Acts 9, verse 31, we believe that this year in 2024, we will enjoy a time of peace, strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, that we will grow in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. Now, the past few Sundays, we have dealt with some miracles in the ministry of Peter, but in Acts, the focus shifts to the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. So today, we're going to take a step back and look at Paul's conversion, which was miraculous, a miracle of God. In Acts chapter 9, after a period of persecution, the church was enjoying a time of peace. What had happened? And we see, as we walk through Acts chapter 9, a pattern of faith for receiving miracles that we've seen again and again and again in this series to say it, to do it, to receive it, and to tell it. And we see here as we begin Acts chapter 9 that the one saying it in Acts chapter 9 is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Acts 9, beginning in verse 1, meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. If you've read the book of Acts recently or this week spend some time in the book of Acts, as the church was established in Jerusalem, the first dispute, controversy, issue, or growing pains revolved around the 
distribution of food to widows in need. And the Hebraic Jews, the more conservative Jews, had an issue or a complaint against the Hellenistic Jews. And these were Jews that, from the perspective of the Hebraic Jews, they had, they had compromised with the culture. And they had embraced Greek culture to a degree. And these Hellenistic Jews that were looked down upon by the Hebraic Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, they felt like they were not receiving as much food for their widows as the more conservative Jews. So there was this controversy. And Peter said that it would not be right for them to neglect prayer and the ministry of the word to deal with that issue. So they designated seven young men. And one of those young men was Stephen. The Bible says that he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And through him, the Lord did wonderful miracles, but he was quickly put to death. He had the opportunity to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim that Jesus is Lord to the entire religious Sanhedrin, and they were so infuriated, they had him dragged outside and they stoned him. And the Bible says that Saul was thereby holding the cloaks or the outer garments of the men that stoned Stephen to death. And Saul was there, standing there, looking on, giving his approval and giving his consent. So that's who we're talking about. Acts 9 verse 1, meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, which is modern day Syria, letters for the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, before they were first called Christians in Antioch, before that they were called followers of the way, the way of Jesus, following Christ, living like Christ, acting like Christ, talking like Christ, doing the works of Jesus. So he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now you might wonder why Damascus? Damascus was a major city of trade from which caravans leaving Damascus would reach north Syria, Mesopotamia, Anatolia, Persia, and Arabia. And so Saul knew strategically that if Christianity were allowed, and they called it this set, today we might say something like this group or this cult, Saul knew that if Christianity were allowed to be established in Damascus, it would soon then spread through believing Jews to other synagogues and other major cities that Christianity would soon spread to the then known world. And so from Saul's perspective, Christianity, this new sect, this new group, this way, it had to be stopped in Damascus. So he was on his way. Verse three, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Saul was a Pharisee. He was a devout religious Jew, and not just a devout religious Jew, he was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were all about 
the law of Moses, following the law of Moses dutifully, and so much so that they, they even came up with their own laws, their own regulations. They, they were all about the law, the law, the law, the law. Of the Pharisees, Jesus had said, you put burdens on people's backs that they cannot carry. And the one that they esteemed was Moses, the great Moses, the deliverer of Israel. And so Saul said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, I have to understand how this would have totally rocked the world of Saul. Moses, go back to Exodus. Moses, his life was spared. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh as a prince of Egypt. Later, he saw an Egyptian mistreating a Jew. He killed that Egyptian. It was noised among the slaves. People knew about it. And so Moses had to flee Egypt. Decades went by. He was an old man older than any of us this morning. He was living on the backside of Midian, working and tending animals for his father-in-law, Jethro. And as he was tending animals there on the mountain, he saw a fire, but it didn't go out. It didn't burn and go out. It kept burning. And he went to investigate, and there was a bush on fire, and it did not burn up. And a voice from the bush said, take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. And so, of course, Moses had the same question that Saul had. Who are you? And the Lord said to Moses, I am that I am. Thousands of years went by. And finally, the one that the prophets had prophesied would come, he came. And he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger again. I am Living water, whoever comes to me will never thirst again. He literally said, Jesus said, I am the door, the gate, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You skip to the end in your Bible and go to Revelation. He says, I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. And so Saul, this devout follower of the law, this devout follower of Moses, he's, he's on his way to Damascus on a mission to persecute these followers of the way. And he's arrested by the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So we see that Jesus is the one that speaks. And so he tells Saul, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, 
he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Now here we have an example of the Lord getting someone's attention. Now I believe in coming to the house of God and having an open and receptive heart to hear the word. I believe in spending time in prayer and having a sensitive heart before the Holy Spirit, being quick to, obey, quick to listen and, and quick to obey. I don't need the Lord getting my attention that way. The Lord got a hold of him. The Lord got his attention. I am the Lord Jesus Christ whom you are persecuting. And he was blind. Imagine being in that situation. Imagine what that was like for Saul. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. See, prior to this, he knew that he knew that he knew he was right. And he found out that he was wrong. He knew that he knew that he knew that this was just a small sect, a small group, didn't understand it, but knew they were wrong. And in a moment, he knew he was wrong. And in a moment, he knew that Jesus was and is the one to come, the Messiah. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. If you look at a picture or illustration of the city of Damascus in biblical days, Straight Street is a street that runs right through the center of the city like a knife. It's still there to this day. If you go and visit Damascus today, you can walk on the same street that Paul and others walked. You go where they have the bazaar and the marketplace and all the vendors. It's on Straight Street. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Jesus told Saul what to do. Go and wait. You're going to be visited. Then the Lord Jesus told Ananias what to do. And before Ananias ever arrived, Paul had faith that a man would visit him, lay hands upon him, and his sight would be restored. And how did he have faith for that? Well, the Lord had given him a vision. The Lord had shown him what would take place. Praise God for the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. And this is one of the ways in which we can be led of the Spirit of God. Now, if you see yourself stopping by Krispy Kreme every morning this week for a box of donuts, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's your flesh. But if you're at the grocery store and, you know, sometimes he speaks to us in a still small voice, but sometimes the Lord, he'll show us things. And you see yourself buy groceries for someone or pay the bill. Now, that's not the devil. That's the Lord. Praise God for the grace and the mercy and the compassion of Almighty God. Saul was a devout Pharisee, a persecutor of the way. Everything that he knew and believed in was upended in 24 hours. Shock, blind, can't eat, messed up, but the Lord in his grace and mercy had a plan for him. And the Lord in his grace and mercy showed him what would take place. In a vision, 
he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And we see that Ananias did what the Lord said. Verse 13, Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. You know, we have our objections, but the best thing is to hear and obey and to hear and obey quickly. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house. So the Lord said, go, and Ananias went. The Lord said, go, and Ananias did. He went, verse 17, he went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ananias did what Jesus said do. And praise God, Saul received a wonderful miracle, a wonderful blessing. Paul received his sight and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. So the committed Pharisee was now a committed Christian. He didn't wait a few years to find out if he would be committed or not. He didn't wait a few years to find out if he would sign up for water baptism or not. The committed Pharisee was now a committed Christian. All in. Sold out for the Lord. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. So he received his sight and he also received the Holy Spirit. Ananias did not pray a long prayer. The Bible says in Proverbs 10 verse 19, when words are many, sin is not absent. Teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 7, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. James 5.16 tells us, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, it availeth much. And so the Lord sent a righteous man to visit Saul. And Ananias did not pray a long prayer. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias spoke simple words of faith in the name of Jesus. Ananias spoke a simple command of faith. Later, the end of Acts, when Paul would give his testimony before unbelieving Jews, he told them in Acts 22, verse 13, Ananias stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. So we don't have to pray long, complicated prayers. You can pray a short, simple prayer in faith in the name of Jesus. You can speak a simple command of faith in the name of Jesus. Brother Saul, receive your sight. Saul was now a brother, a believer, and so he had a part to play. And Ananias encouraged him to receive. 
he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. We, we have to be willing to receive. We have to want to receive. We have to desire to receive. And when we deal with this periodically, the way we receive any good thing from God is by faith. And praise God for the grace and the mercy and the compassion of God. Paul, Saul, who had become Paul, sitting there after his experience with the Lord, couldn't see, couldn't eat. He was in a state of shock and awe. The Lord showed him what would take place. A kind and gracious man named Ananias would visit him and would lay hands upon him and his eyes would be opened and he would receive the Holy Spirit. And praise God, Paul instantly began to tell it. Verse 20, at once Saul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. They're, they're the worst enemy of Christians became their best defense and their best advocate and their best preacher. As my father said at 9 a.m., in less than seven days. Every, everything turned around in less than a week. You know, we have to be so careful when there are challenges and there are circumstances and there are difficulties and there are obstacles in life. We, we can easily get into this thing of, well, why me or oh me or how long, Lord? The Lord told Abraham how long his descendants would suffer in Egypt. 430 years until an old man who had heard, I am that I am, arrived and said, let my people go. And you might say, well, Austin, there's this, there's that. Friends, compared to what others have faced, we don't have any trouble at all. And everything can turn around in 24 hours or 48 hours or 72 hours or seven days. At once, Saul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Before that, he was saying, no, he's not. And now he's saying, yes, he is. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet, Luke writes, verse 22, Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. See, he, he was the one who, again, as a devout student of the law, as a Pharisee trained by Gamaliel, he, he knew the scriptures, he knew the Old Testament, and in a moment he understood that the one that all the prophets pointed to was Jesus Christ. And so like no one else, he could preach Jesus Christ as the one who was, who is, who is to come. Verse 23, after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they, they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. They, they thought it was a plan, a trap. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, the same Barnabas he would travel with. 
He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. You know, growing up in church, being 41 years old, I've heard plenty of people tell me, Austin, the Lord this and the Lord that. Proof that you've heard the Lord is doing the works of the kingdom of God. Not weird stuff. Not crazy stuff. Not leaving your wife or your husband or your children, but doing the work of the kingdom of God. That's the evidence of having an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Who, who better than Saul, the most devout among the Pharisees, to go where he wanted? Oh, oh, we know that guy, we trust that guy. And then he walks in and he proclaims Jesus Christ. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they sent him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, which was his hometown. The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So, so don't do this how long? Why me? Oh me? Friend, we don't have any trouble at all. And everything in 24 hours or 48 hours or 72 hours or a week can turn around. And in the, the good days, we should give thanks. And in days that are a little bit more difficult, we ought to give thanks. Paul told it and told it and told it. Later to the church at Corinth. Corinth was where he had labored for a long time, multiple years he had heavily invested in the church of Corinth, yet, yet later there were, there were all kinds of problems in Corinth. Fighting, bickering, divisions, lawsuits among believers, sexual immorality, Paul said, of a kind you don't even hear about in the world. A young man with his stepmother, services out of control. He had invested deeply in Corinth. He loved them. And in, in addressing all this fighting and bickering and division. Some sang they followed Peter, and some sang they followed Paul, and some sang they followed Apollos. Paul reminded them of all that he had faced. 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 24. And these were all things that he faced for Jesus Christ. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And his point was, stop all of this bickering. All that I've done for the Lord, what I'm going to boast in is Jesus Christ. That's the message. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Later in prison, Paul would write to the church at Philippi, Philippians 4, beginning in verse 11. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content 
in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. The New King James, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Over the course of 30 years serving the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul told it and told it and told it and told it. Even from prison, Paul told it. Right up until he was beheaded by Nero in the mid-60s Rome, he told it and told it and told it. Paul's life, his ministry, his missionary journeys, they are an example of the sovereignty of God and his divine plan. Paul called himself the least of the apostles, yet he would go on to write half of our New Testament. Even though he became so prominent, even though he would rebuke Peter, Paul did not come to Christ willingly. He was arrested on the road to Damascus. God stepped into history. Jesus Christ stepped into history. Paul had a destiny. Paul had a purpose. With his training as a Pharisee, with his training by Gamaliel, the most famous rabbi of the first century, only a converted and saved and Christian Paul could explain how Jesus Christ fulfilled the Old Testament law. Only Paul could explain and articulate the finished work of Christ. Paul would say to the churches in Galatia, in Galatians 1, beginning in verse 11, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Later, speaking to the unsaved Jews in Jerusalem, giving his defense, Paul said in Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became quiet. So he had done his missionary journeys. He knew what was ahead. He knew by the Spirit of God what was ahead. And knowing what was ahead and knowing the danger and knowing that just the, the hatred of unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem, Paul went back to Jerusalem willingly. He knew what he would face. He knew that they would lie and make false accusations, that they would have him arrested. They would try to have him put to death. He went willingly. And so he was there, short time. False accusations were made. They, they stirred up a mob in the city. The Romans intervened. He had been arrested. And then the Roman commander allowed Paul to stand before the Jewish mob. And that was crying out and wanting him put to death. And he gave his defense. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. And he would go on to tell them in verse 12, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there, he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Paul would go on to write half the New Testament. He traveled the then known world, establishing churches and strengthening believers. And he knew he had a mission and an assignment. And that mission and assignment was to preach the gospel even to Caesar. Facing trial, he appealed to Caesar. Later, one of the Judean kings said that if Paul had not appealed, he could have been 
set free. But he knew he had a mission. He knew he had a destiny. He knew he had a purpose. He willingly and willfully appealed to Caesar. Friends, even Caesar deserves to hear the gospel. Even the most wicked man or woman in high places deserves to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. To know that Jesus loves them and that he died for them and that by believing in Jesus Christ, they can be a part of the family of God and their sins can be washed away. Paul spent his latter years in Rome as a prisoner under house arrest. Later, he was imprisoned and beheaded during Nero's reign of terror. Paul would write to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 6, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all who have longed for his appearing. Paul was a martyr. His life, his missionary journeys, his writings, his death, all gave witness to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And friends, that's what we need to be about. Our lives, everything that we do, how we talk, how we conduct ourselves, how we conduct business, everything should point to Jesus Christ. Everything should give witness to Jesus Christ. Not only is he the answer, he is the Savior of the world. Our entire lives and all that we are ought to give witness to Jesus Christ. And I believe that if we will commit to doing that like never before, we will enjoy a time of peace, being strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And we will grow in numbers as we live in the fear of the Lord. Please bow your heads. You might be here today and say, Austin, I have never asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I've never prayed a prayer. I've never walked an aisle. I've never given my life to him. But I want to be saved. I want to be a part of the family of God. And you might, you might wonder, Austin, is it, is it hard? Is it difficult to be a part of the family of God? No, friend, it's very simple. It's very easy. The same Paul wrote that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So you might be here today and say, Austin, I want to be a part of the family of God. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to give my life to him. If that's you, wherever you're seated this morning, say, Austin, pray with me. I want to be saved. I want to be a part of the family of God. If that's you this morning, wherever you're seated, you want me to pray with you, raise your hand so I know you want me to pray. Say, Austin, I, I want to be a part of the family of God. I want to be saved. I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. If that's you, raise your hand. You might also be here today and at a time in your life, you prayed a prayer, you walked an aisle, but you know in your heart you've not been living for Christ. You know in your heart that your life and your conduct and your actions and your words and the things you've done 
have given witness to all kinds of things but Jesus Christ. Friends, the mercy of God is new every morning. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can have a new beginning. You can have a fresh start. If you're here today and say, Austin, that's me. Pray with me. I want to recommit my life. I want to recommit my life before we go today. If that's you, wherever you're seated, raise your hand to where I'll see it. I'll know you want me to pray with you. You might be watching or listening online now or later and say, Austin, pray with me. Pray the simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I repent of my sins and I believe in my heart, Jesus is Lord. And I confess with my mouth that you raised him from the dead. So I thank you that I am saved I am a part of your family and I thank you for setting me free of anything that would hinder me in living for you. I thank you. Just as Saul, who became Paul, was filled with your spirit, I thank you for filling me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're new to church, new to Christ, new to the things of God, or maybe you spent your life in a place where you didn't hear much word. And we say this occasionally, but probably not often enough. You say, Austin, I, the, the, the history and all that someone like Paul did, we find all this, most of it in the word of God. And so if you're a new believer, you say, Austin, I don't know that much, or I don't know as much as I want to know. What we'll sometimes say is, get a Bible, get a Bible in modern English that you can read. You know, I like Shakespeare. You know, I, I'm glad that uh, I passed a class on Shakespeare at TCU. You know, I thought it would be neat to take a class on Shakespeare. I didn't realize the lady teaching it got her PhD at Harvard on Shakespeare. Pretty painful, but I made it through, amen. I like the King James, I like old Bibles, but you, you need a Bible in modern English that you can read and you can understand, or Spanish, or your first or primary language. And if you know very little or know nothing or you wanna know more, I would encourage you to first read a gospel. The Gospel of Mark, it is the shortest. Then you need to know what belongs to us in Christ Jesus, and you need to know who you are in Christ Jesus. And we find all of that out in Paul's epistles. And so where I would start is with Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Why those? Well, they're some of the shortest. They're what I like. Galatians is what I like to call the Cliff Notes version of Romans. But if you're a new believer, or you don't know much word, or you want to know more, start with the Gospel of Mark. Then begin reading the, what we call the Pauline Revelation. Start with the shorter le letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Then as you get some comfort, go to some of the longer ones, amen. They'll be a blessing to you. And then also do the daily Bible reading because you'll read the proverb of the day. You'll read in the Old Testament. You'll read in the New Testament. You know, there, there are too many Christians in 2024 and they think we can ignore the Old Testament. They think the Old Testament is not important. Friends, when, when people followed Christ, 
in the early decades of the church, the scripture they had was the Old Testament. And when Paul would stand in a synagogue and proclaim, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the scripture he preached with was the Old Testament because it points to Jesus Christ.